This morning, we're continuing in our Relationships Reformed series. Uh, over the past two months, God's Word in Colossians 3 has given us a, really a picture of and a call to lives and relationships and community transformed by the gospel. And what we see in Colossians 3 is that those being transformed by the gospel are those who have put off things like sexual immorality and impurity and greed in their, in their relationships. They've put off anger and malice and slander and lying in their relationships. They've put off divisions of race and gender and class and culture in their relationships. And not only have they put these things off in Christ, they have put on things like compassion and kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and forgiveness, and peace. There's this beautiful picture of the power of the gospel and the effect it has in community for us in Colossians 3. But then in verse 16, Paul does something a little bit unexpected and surprising and quite interesting. After listing these relational sins and then listing relational virtues, he turns his focus to the corporate worship gathering and draws into and focus on God's people as they worship. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so within the frame of relational reformation through the gospel is the worship of God's people, the, the Christ-glorifying, God-exalting worship that we participate in on a weekly basis. And I wonder if you were to peruse all of the relational coaching and relational help books, particularly from a Christian perspective that are available to us, and there are a lot, how many would talk about being in community and being in God's word in community and worshiping together with God's people? My guess is that you would find references to that, but how many of those would put it front and center? Like top three, how many of those would say, hey, if you want to see your relationships reformed, worship with God's people, be in the word of God with God's people? Because like, here's what I think we're, we're prone to do. We like to run to, hey, let's get to the practicals, let's get to the to-dos, let's get to the things that, are just, that feel more like, hey, this is actually making a difference. But friends, if we're going to experience relational reformation in the ordinary, everyday sort of practical matters of our life, there has to be deep, fundamental heart change there has to be deep, fundamental transformation at the heart level, and this takes place as we are in God's word together and we worship together. Because look, we could talk about relational reformation on Sundays and in gospel community and as we're hanging out to eat with each other till we're blue in the face. Like we could have all of the wisdom, all of the, the, the help, all of the counsel that we could ever need falling out of our ears. But unless we are a community saturated in God's word and a community given over to full, full-hearted worship of God, then we're never going to experience the fullness, the full beauty, and the full life-giving transformation that the gospel holds out for us here in Colossians 3. And so this morning, I want, us, I want God's word to call us to Christ and to call us to wholehearted worship. And here's the simple main point for us this morning. When the word of Christ dwells richly among us, our lives, our relationships, and our community are reformed. And I'm going to take this main idea in two parts. The first is the what. What does it mean to let the word of God dwell richly among us? And then the how. How do we let it dwell richly among us? So first, let's talk about the what. And so when Paul says, let the word of Christ, which is the message of Christ, the gospel, 
dwell richly among you, he's saying more than just have a bunch of Bible knowledge and theology knowledge. Like, look, that's important. It's not less than that, but it's far more than that. Because the gospel, the message of Christ is more than information and content. It is that, but it's more than that. As Romans 1.16 tells us, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And then we also recognize that Jesus Christ is the word made flesh. He is the word. And so where the word, word of Christ is, the presence of Christ is. Christ's presence dwells with his people through his word. So when Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you, he's saying, let the power of Christ and the presence of Christ dwell richly among you. And look, to dwell richly, this speaks of sort of the nature and degree of dwelling. So when I visit friends or Mindy and I go and visit friends, we try not to leave a very big footprint. So I try, and I promise, if I ever stay with you, I will, I will try to do this. I will not leave my stuff laying around. I'll try not to make the bathroom messy. I'll try not to eat all of your food. I will try to make my presence felt as little as possible. Here's what else I promise I won't do. I won't put my clothes in your closet and pull your clothes out. I won't put my books on your bookshelf. I won't hang my pictures on your wall. I promise I won't paint your rooms according to my preferred color palette. I won't pull your car out of the garage and put my car on the garage. I'm not going to rearrange and reorder your house. But when you consider how I dwell in my house, look, it's my clothes in the closet, my pictures on the wall, my color preference on the wall. More Mindy's, but you get the point. (laughs) It's our furniture taste there. It's my books on the shelves. It's my food preferences in the fridge, my car in the garage. In my own home, I'm dwelling richly. I define the design and the order. And so when we talk about Christ's word dwelling richly among us, we're saying his word, his power, his presence define the design of our hearts, defines the design of our relationships. Look, the word of Christ is not to be like a friend that just sleeps on your couch or in your guest bedroom. It's to reorder and rearrange. This is what it means for Christ's word to dwell richly among us. And so the question is, is that word dwelling richly in you and among your relationships? Is the word of Christ dwelling in you richly personally? And is it dwelling among you richly in your community? Is it dwelling richly among us on Sundays in our gospel communities, and just in our kind of informal interactions with each other? Is it dwelling richly in your home? Because here's what we can do. We can acknowledge the word of Christ, and we can even welcome it in some sense, but let it have little to no actual effect and transformation in our hearts. We can acknowledge it and welcome it, but still treat it like the guest that's on the couch. And friends, here's what happens. When we treat the word of Christ like a guest in the couch, other words begin to dwell richly among us. Other words will dwell richly in us and among us. When the word of Christ is like a friend on the couch, we let words like the word of politics dwell richly among us. Teaching and admonishing one another through partisanship, identity politics, and conspiracy theories. Or we'll let the word of expressive individualism dwell richly among us, teaching and admonishing through self-definition, self-reliance, sexual freedom, and gender fluidity. Or we'll let the word of the American dream dwell richly among us, teaching and admonishing through busyness and chasing success and status and wealth and comfort. 
Or how about when we let the word of self-righteousness dwell richly among us, teaching and admonishing one another in condemnation, judgment, divisiveness, and criticism? Or we will let the word of insecurity and anxiety dwell richly among us, teaching and admonishing one another in fear and self-pity, in hiding, self-condemnation, pretending and performing. Friends, what word is dwelling richly in you? What word is dwelling richly among those you are in relationship with? And how is that word forming you? How is it forming you? How is it forming your relationships? How is it forming your community? Is it making you a more faith-filled, grace-filled, hope-filled, joy-filled, love-filled person? Is it making your community more righteous and good and honest and sacrificial and forgiving? Is it making you and your community more emotionally and spiritually healthy? I recently came across an article in the Washington Post that gives this really fascinating account of one of the men who was part of the group that stormed the Capitol back in January. And by all accounts, this man is a devoted Christian who goes to a solid gospel preaching church. And what was really fascinating with this article, that was really, it was written with a ton of empathy for this guy. But what you see by this guy's own account is this wrestle between, was it going to be the word of Christ in the community of his church, or was it going to be the word of politics through social media that was going to dwell richly in him? And from this man's own Facebook post, you can hear his struggle. He writes, I've noticed that my phone has been in my hand more than my Bible. I've been locked in on my Facebook watching all this stuff play out, and I get angrier and angrier. As you know, I consider myself a devout Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's my passion, has been for many years now. As of late, with everything that's been going on, boy, it's been rough. It's been a rough time for me, honestly. And I've been fighting really hard with anger and seeing everything that's been going on. Whew, it's just, it's eaten my lunch. And I want to apologize. I've definitely not been showing godly things on here. You know, I've even said as far as I would shoot this person in the head or that person in the head. And whether I would do it or not doesn't matter. I don't need to get on there and spread this because I'm not showing the love of Christ. And then the article goes on to say how members of his church had raised concern and sat down and talked with him. And even two pastors had met with him to encourage him to get off social media and ditch the anger and be more connected to Christ and his word. And the wrestle went on, but ultimately he confesses this, but I just couldn't let go of it. I feel like I need to see this stuff. I feel like I have to be informed. And sadly, because the word of Christ ultimately became like a friend on the couch. And what shaped his heart ultimately led him to ungodly anger, rioting, and lawlessness. And this breaks my heart. Reading this article broke my heart because I understand the struggle in my own heart and I understand how this works in community. My friends, and I also say this with, with all humility, if you look at all that is going on in our culture, in our society, and even throughout the world, I genuinely believe that God is doing some pretty significant exposing of the big C church. Like he's exposing the ways that we have allowed other words to dwell richly among us, whether it be words of politics or expressive individualism or the American dream or self-righteousness or insecurity and anxiety. And if we just look, we can see the damage we see Christians who have sold their soul and sold the gospel for political power. We see Christians that have just sort of punted on discernment and wisdom. 
Christians who are distorting God's word or even denying the truth of God's word and authority when it comes to sexuality and gender identity. We're seeing Christians who are living for success and wealth and comfort rather than the kingdom. Christians who are given over to anger and judgment and hatred towards the other. Christians who are living in fear and self-pity and self-condemnation and anxiety rather than in gospel comfort. And so, look, this is not to say, like a Pharisee, well, thank God we're not like those Christians in those churches. No, when we look at what is happening, it should cause us to cry out to God, Jesus, we need you. We need your word. We need your presence. We need your power to transform us. What is shaping our heart? What is shaping our community? Rather than letting those other words shape us, Rather than letting those other words dwell richly among us, let us let the word of Christ dwell richly. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among us, because here's what this word declares. While we were in our sin, while we were in our rebellion, God, who is rich in mercy, sends Jesus. And Jesus comes as a man, and he walks this earth in our sin and our mess and he lives the perfectly righteous life that you and I could never live and he does it for us and he doesn't just live he willingly lays down his life to be crucified on a Roman cross as the full penalty for our sin and the full payment for our sin but he doesn't just die he raises again in victory in power victorious over every sin every evil victorious even over death and he sends into heaven And he has all authority on heaven and on earth, and he is seated at the right hand of God as a resurrected and reigning king. And here is the promise of the gospel. Here's the promise of the word of Christ, that for all who turn from their sin, repent of their sin, and turn to Christ in faith as their Lord and Savior, new life in Christ. Welcomed as a son and as a daughter, loved and cherished by God. No longer a slave to sin, but set free from sin. Resurrection power in you, the Holy Spirit renewing and transforming you and making you like Christ. And if you're in Jesus, here's the hope that you have. One day Christ is coming back to reconcile and renew all things. And he's going to put an end to sin and suffering and evil and death. That's the word that dwells richly among us. That is the word that if we let dwell richly among us will transform us and our community And if you're here this morning and you've never received that word, if that word has never transformed you, if it has never rearranged and reordered and defined the design of your heart, Christ calls to you this morning. He holds out his love and his grace. He holds out his salvation and forgiveness. And he says, come to me. He says, come to me and know salvation. Come to me and know forgiveness. Come to me and know healing. Because While the gospel will expose you at the deepest level, it also will meet you with salvation at the point of your ugliest sin and your darkest sin. It will hold out hope and life and healing for your deepest need and your deepest hurts. The word of Christ brings faith to doubting hearts. It brings hope to hurting hearts. It brings joy to despairing hearts. It brings peace to restless hearts. It brings wonder to shallow hearts. But the word of Christ will transform and renew your sinful and stubborn hearts and it will give wisdom to your foolish heart. But here's also what the word of Christ does. 
The word of Christ transforms selfish and self-obsessed people who use one another into a community that serves and sacrifices, that will lay down rights and comforts for one another. Relationships reformed in love. The word of Christ will transform sexually immoral and sexually broken people into a community of people who are pure. Relationships reformed in holiness. The word of Christ will transform angry, judgmental, slandering, lying, unforgiving people into a community of compassion and love and patience and humility and gentleness and forgiveness. People who will get in the muck and the mess with one another and build each other up in Christ. Relationships reformed in kindness and forgiveness and ruled by peace. The word of Christ will transform people who would normally be divided by race and gender and culture divided by whether you make enough money or you don't make enough money, whether you're educated or not educated enough. And it brings us into one people, one family who genuinely like each other and love each other and live in relationship with one another. This is the beauty of the gospel. Let this word dwell richly among us and transform our hearts and our relationships and our community. So friends, That is what it means to let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. How do we do this? Well, in verse 16, Paul gives us direction. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And so we let the word of Christ dwell richly through three things. Teaching, admonishing, and singing. And so Bible translators are kind of divided on how the Greek sort of relates these three things together precisely. And so you have various translations. You'll see it translated in some different ways. So the CSB, which is the version that we use on Sundays, translates it more as we teach and admonish through singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, where the ESV will translate this more as teach and admonish and sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Look, regardless of the precise way that these three things are related, What we do know is that all of these three things are connected closely and they are part of how we let the word of Christ dwell richly among us. And so as we teach and admonish, the word of Christ dwells richly among us. And so to teach is to proactively and positively give instruction while admonishing is correcting behavior and belief. And so church, let us teach And in our teaching, let it be the word of Christ that we teach, not self-help and good advice, not merely philosophy and psychology or political party platforms, but Christ and him crucified for sinners, now the resurrected and reigning king who will save all who come to him. Let his word, his power, his person, his presence be what is front and center in all of our teaching. And may we never make this mistake. May we never think that the gospel is just the doorway to the Christian life and then we move on to far more mature things. No, the gospel is what saves us. The gospel is what transforms us. It is of first importance, as 1 Corinthians 15 tells us. And so may we never move on from the word of Christ, the message of Christ. Yes, all theology matters, but all theology finds its fullest meaning and its fullest expression in the gospel that exalts Christ to the glory of God. 
And so let us teach. Let us teach on Sundays. Let, us, let, let, let this be a, a place where the word of Christ is taught clearly. Friends, if I ever stop teaching the word of Christ from this pulpit, come and correct me. Seriously, come and correct me and say, Chris, you're not teaching the word of Christ anymore. That's what needs to be front and center. Let it be the thing that we teach on Sundays. Let it be what we are teaching one another in gospel community. Let it be the thing we teach each other in our conversations with one another. Let it be the thing that you teach in your families. And look, this is not just something that I do and Pastor Paul does or a few select leaders. It's not just about standing in front of people teaching as you all listen. The picture here in Colossians 3 is this is something we all do together. It's a collective community work. And so when you spend time with your brother and sister and you talk to them about the truth and you teach them the truth to help them understand, that's teaching. When you open the Bibles together to try to understand it better and you're helping somebody understand scripture better, that's teaching. When you're taking the gospel and gospel truth and applying it to somebody's sin struggle or their place where they're suffering, that's teaching. When you come to a brother or sister and say, hey, the way you're walking isn't in step with Christ, and so I want to pull you back over to be more faithful to Christ, that's teaching and that's admonishing one another. And so we do this together, church. We do this together. And here's the compound effect that happens. When we're all doing this together, it's beautiful what happens. And so think of it this way. When you spend time in the word yourself, in time in the word in prayer, like the word of God is getting into you and it's, it's in your heart and it's stirring around and it's, it's trying to make some changes and that is great and that's wonderful. But when you teach it to somebody else, when you speak it to somebody else, it starts to work in your heart even more and even more deeply and it starts to work in their heart. And when they speak the word to you and teach the word to you, it starts working in your heart and it's working in all of our hearts. And if we do this collectively as a people, if we're all committed to this together, that's how the word of Christ dwells richly among us. And if we do that, guess what happens? He defines the design. He defines the design of our hearts and he defines the design of our community. No longer is the word of Christ the, the guest on the couch, but he is the one setting up the order of our hearts and the order of our community. So the word of Christ dwells richly in us and among us as we teach and admonish and also as we sing. Now that teaching and admonishing is closely connected to singing tells us something very, very important. That what we teach is worth singing. That what we teach is worth celebrating. Friends, our God is not a small God. He's not a God of just a little bit of mercy and a little bit of love. Of just kind of a savior. No, our God is glorious and great, infinite in majesty and holiness. He is a God rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is not an average Savior. He doesn't just kind of save you. No, he saves you to the uttermost, forgives you completely of your sins, and one day what he accomplished will renew the entire cosmos. That's who our God is. This is why we sing. As Reggie Kidd points out in his book with one voice, a theology that cannot be preached is not worth, worth having. I once heard a preacher declare. I can't argue with that. Truth that can't be applied isn't worth bothering about. Here's a corollary to the preacher's quip. A theology that cannot be sung is not worth having either. Authentic Christian faith is not merely believed, nor is it merely acted upon. It is sung with utter joy sometimes, in uncontrollable tears sometimes, but it is sung. 
We have a theology we're singing because our God is great and glorious and mighty to save. We have a theology that is worthy of the highest praise to fill our soul and a theology that meets us in the darkest depths and gives voice to our deepest pain. And when the word of Christ is the content and the substance of our worship, when that is the center of what we sing, we teach and admonish one another. We're actually teaching and admonishing. You, you may typically think of singing as something that you do. You're giving praise to God and that's stirring your emotions in you and that, that is true. But it is more than that. It's kind of a theme for today. Things are more than that. When, when we sing together, when we declare the gospel, when we declare the greatness and glory of our God, what we're doing is we're speaking those truths to one another. And so when we're here singing together and you hear your brothers and sisters declaring the glories of God and the gospel, that is embedding that in your heart. And more and more, you're pulled towards Christ to believe that gospel, to be strengthened to that gospel. And when you hear that gospel sung, you begin and your heart begins to stir. You begin to realize, man, I've been living for lesser glories. I've been chasing sin and I've been formed in ways that are deforming me. But as I hear you sing, brothers and sisters, I'm reminded that God is glorious. Let me give my life to him. Let me worship him. And so it is something great and glorious we're doing. When we sing together, you are building one another up. You're teaching and admonishing one another in Christ as you sing. And why is it important that we teach and admonish one another through singing? Why does God give us song? And why has he wired us to respond to song? Well, because singing shapes us in ways that straightforward teaching doesn't. The vividness of music and singing gives words power to embed truth deep into our souls. I think I've shared this story before, but it, it bears repeating because it so powerfully illustrates this. And I always get choked up when I tell the story, sorry. Prior to COVID, our gospel community would regularly go to Hillcrest and, and sing with the residents. And at, at this particular facility, it's a memory ward. And so these are folks who are, whose minds have been ravaged by dementia and Alzheimer's. And one time we were singing, sorry, <laughs> there's a guy there who's just in tears. And Mindy volunteers there. And so she, had, she knew this guy. And so she went up and was like, hey, are you okay? And, and he was just, it's so beautiful. Reminds me of the songs that I sang as a kid. And it was just so cool to see what his mind could not recall if you were just to ask him about what his mind and his memory had forgotten that singing had embedded in his soul. And the truth came out in song. The, 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 the truth and the way that he had been formed in worship came out in song. This is why we sing because it puts it deep into the core of our being and shapes us in some deeper ways that just our minds can't even comprehend. And so friends, when we sing, the reason we sing is because God is after formation in the deepest parts of our being. And one of the styles of song that is mentioned in Colossians 3.16 is the Psalms. And the Psalms were the original hymn book of God's people and as, as Reggie Kidd in his book also points out, the physicality of singing psalms uniquely shaped God's people. This is what he writes. The Psalter is full of physicality. Texts are sung, hands are lifted, hands are clapped, knees are bowed, stairs are walked, instruments are played. The words are designed to become a part of us 
and they do that by our physical contact with them. We're supposed to chew on them, sing them, and play them so they can orient us to God, who God is and who we are in relation to him. Friends, the same is true for us today. When we sing the word of Christ, when we celebrate it, when we declare it in full embodied, full-hearted worship, the word gets deep down inside us. It dwells richly among us. And so let us worship our great and our glorious God. Let us sing with our hearts, whether it's in utter joy or in deep sorrow. And in our worship together, let us teach and admonish one another. What word is dwelling richly in you? What word is dwelling richly in us? What is shaping our hearts? What is shaping our relationships? What is shaping our community friends? May it not be the word of politics or the word of expressive individualism or the word of the American dream or the word of self-righteousness or the word of insecurity and anxiousness. Let it be the word of Christ that dwells richly among us. Let, let us commit to being vitally, closely, physically present with one, each other, one another in community and let the word of Christ and his power and his presence be at the center of our lives and our relationships in our community. Let us declare Christ and teach Christ and speak Christ. Let us encourage one another in Christ and admonish one another in Christ and celebrate Christ and worship Christ and our great God and Father. And in that, let us kick all other words to the couch and kick, even kick them out of the house if necessary, that we would be a community formed, shaped, and reformed in the word of Christ as it dwells richly, as it defines the design of our lives and our relationships. Amen? Let's pray.